Good morning, Rainier View. So glad you are joining us online for the second week of our series, Reconstruction. And today we're talking leaders. Now, if you've ever had a great boss, coach, or mentor, then you know the positive impact a good leader can have on a person, on a team, and on a culture. But on the other hand, if you've ever had a bad leader, then you know a lot about their capacity to make a mess of things. And unfortunately, this is true not just for the secular world, but especially, especially for the church. There's nothing quite like the damage that can be caused by a pastor or a Christian leader. This is because when pastors fail, entire congregations have to wrestle through the inevitable questions that arise, such as, was this person ever the person she claimed to be? Are there other things that leader did that remain under wraps? Did anyone else on staff know about these problems earlier and say nothing? And what does it say about us as a church that we hired him or her? One of the leading reasons why young people are deconstructing or leaving their faith entirely is because of the public witness of the church and its leaders. And this actually kind of checks out. Uh, considering that in a Gallup poll taken in 2020, only 24% of 18 to 34-year-olds said pastors and clergy were honest and reliable, and only 51% of ages 55 and up. Long story short, bad leaders have caused people to question, doubt, and leave their faith. But here's the thing, as concerning and unprecedented as this all sounds, this problem isn't new. In fact, we see Malachi wrestling with the same issues in the 5th century BC. So here's the roadmap for this morning where we're going to go. We're going to spend some time in Malachi, break down in what ways leaders failed back then, and then we're going to come all the way back around to this pressing question. What do we do when pastors fail now? So turn with me to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. The priests in Malachi's day were, for lack of better words, a hot mess, so much so that HBO would have piloted a series about them. And Malachi gets all worked up about this because it's these priests who are supposed to represent God's faithfulness and care to the wider community. In a time historically chock full of anxieties, dangers, and temptations, it's these priests that the people should be able to look up to and follow the example of. But instead, it's God's important leaders who have gone way off course. Now, priests back then were responsible for leading worship in the temple and making legal decisions in the court. And so their position naturally came with a lot of attention and prestige. But with influence often comes corruption. We see this all the time today, how power can morph honesty into compromise, compassion into greed, and drift the leaders' focus more onto their success and comfort 
than their faithfulness. And this is sort of what happened to the priests in Malachi's day as well. They got so caught up in the benefits that came with being a priest that they forgot the contractual, or in biblical terms, covenantal character of their God-given role. According to Malachi, this contract demanded reverence, speaking the truth, telling and retelling the story of what God has done for Israel, and personally modeling wholeness and uprightness in such a way that others would be compelled to follow the Lord and turn from their sins. But much like Russell Wilson of the Denver Broncos, they were not living up to the demands of their contract. Take a look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 with me. My covenant was with Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So there were two ways that the priests were failing to live up to their contract. Number one, the priests took shortcuts when it came to making sacrifices in the temple. Now, we won't go into the ins and outs of how animal sacrifices operated in the Old Testament, but suffice it to say that this was one of the main ways that people expressed their gratitude and remorse. Sometimes you brought a sacrifice to thank God for all the ways he has blessed and enriched your life. And other times, sacrifice was a way to confess to God how you've missed the mark and need forgiveness. Sacrifice was one of the main ways people back then worshipped God, and the priests were supposed to lead the way in demonstrating what worship should look like. But instead, as Malachi points out, it was these priests who were cutting corners. Even though they knew they should be offering the best of their livestock, the priests were sacrificing blind, injured, and or incredibly sick animals. Now, get this. The point isn't that God loves a good barbecue and he gets upset if you offer lunchable meat off the grill. Rather, what concerns God is the question of where is your heart at? Because if you really want to show gratitude to someone, you would put in the effort to treat them. If you really wanted to apologize to someone, it would cost you something. Now let's flip the scenario here. If someone thanked you by repackaging a broken blender they didn't want, are they really grateful? If the Lakers lost and Jeff broke your TV and he only wrote you an apology on a post-it, is he really sorry? No. And likewise, this is why God can't stand their worship anymore. Why he would rather have the temple shut down and get rid of all the sacrifices. Because it's clear that the priests heart weren't in it anymore. At some point, these priests decided that the best things in life belonged to them and the worthless things could go to God. And over time, they lost the habit of being thankful. They forgot how to confess and ultimately they fell out of love with God. And they also fell out of love with their people, especially when it came to matters of justice. When there were disputes in the community and a judge was needed to resolve a case, it was expected back then that priests would fulfill this judiciary role and to do so without showing any favoritism. 
It sounds weird nowadays with the separation of church and state, but there was a, a logic to the setup. If the priests were supposed to represent God, and God at the core of his being was just, then it followed that priests should do justice as an extension of God's activity in the world. Except it should come as no surprise if you've been paying attention this entire time uh, that these priests were anything but just. They accepted bribes. They favored the important and well-networked. They showed partiality in matters of the law, Malachi 2.9. They denied justice to those who deserved it most and thereby rendered the courts a joke. So when people looked at them, they could no longer see a righteous God at work. But instead they saw an unfair God, an uncaring God, or even a non-existing God. The priests robbed from God what he was due in worship and withheld from the oppressed what they were due in justice. And so God has nothing left to say to them except that he's done and that he's going to smear waste all over them because it would be better for his people to smell these priests coming a mile away and to avoid them than to draw near to hear their words and to follow their lead. Now, if you just heard me say that, that sounds incredibly harsh, I know. And if you haven't heard the prophets before, you might be shocked that God speaks with such colorful language. But here's the deal. The only reason God is so hard on them is because of his intense love. Old Testament scholar Elizabeth Arctemeyer puts it this way. It is only when God leaves us alone that he no longer loves us. If he decides to accept our sin as of no importance and to leave us as we are, then he has abandoned us to our evil and death and he no longer cares about us. God is exposing these priests. He's getting graphic in his language. He's getting all up in their faces and grabbing them and shaking them because in his own words, I'm warning you to save this covenant, to save this contract, to save this relationship. God hasn't given up. God hasn't stopped caring. And it's God's love for them and his people that compels him to unveil and address the failures of his leaders. Now, if you've been following the news or social media for the last two years, then it's kind of hard to miss uh, what is trending when it comes to pastors and religious leaders today. And to be blunt about it, it's this. Pastors suck. And everyone wants to talk about it. Go on Instagram and at Preachers and Sneakers will tell you all about their greed. Go on Spotify and you'll see that the rise and fall of Mars Hill is the number one religious podcast of 2021. Look at book sales and you'll see there's an uptick when it comes to the title When Narcissism Comes to Church. Or even just Google the Southern Baptist Convention and you'll find plenty of articles about how pastors and denominational leaders hid over 700 cases of abuse in their churches. And if you're here today and you have doubts about pastors, question the integrity of the church, or even struggle to believe in God anymore, I totally get it. Collectively, we pastors have failed to model God's goodness to you. We have failed to model heartfelt worship to you. We have failed to do justice for you. And maybe you've experienced an SBC-sized mess or you've been hurt on a much smaller scale, but regardless, your pain matters. And as someone who has been on the receiving end of pastoral abuse, let me just say that I'm sorry for how physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually taxing it may have been for you and your family. And while Rainier View doesn't have perfect pastors, I really do hope that this can be a place where you can heal 
where you can safely share your story and where you constantly hear this message loud and clear that here at Rainier View, we measure our leaders based on who God is and not the other way around. So even if Rusty starts walking on water tomorrow, don't make your faith in God contingent on the goodness of your leaders. Because as Malachi reminds us, leaders have always failed and will continue to fail in ways both big and small. But their failures say nothing about who God is. If you are in a season of deconstruction right now because of your leaders, or you know someone who is struggling, here's my advice for you or for them. Don't give up on your faith, but engage it even more. Don't let the play of bench warmers dictate your faith in the starter. Don't mix up bad leaders and churches with the character of God, but try these three things instead. First, find God in the gospel and not in the tweets. Get a better idea of who God is and what he's like in Jesus before choosing to ditch faith altogether. You wouldn't pass on a product because of some fake review on Amazon, right? Likewise, let God speak for himself before you make any decision about him. Next, find friends to journey with you. Following Jesus isn't meant to be done alone. Find people you can trust who can have meaningful conversations about faith with you and who will not judge you for the questions you might have. And last but not least, identify what remains. Deconstruction is not just about tossing out what sucks, and, but it's also about holding on to and even enhancing what should remain. If you're remodeling a home just because you removed the carpeting, it doesn't mean the work is quite done. You still have new floorboards to put in. If you have already made an inventory of what is wrong in leaders and churches, great, you've removed the carpeting, but put in some floorboards now. What does God say about leadership in the Bible? What does God say about the church? Where in your community do you see this at work? What do you personally need to do to make it a reality in your church? Don't stay in this deconstruction, but now also move towards reconstruction. Also, as we talk about leadership failures today, I want to caution us as well. Because these days, we need to be careful that we aren't entertained by what God exposes. That our desire to hold leaders accountable doesn't turn into yet another thing we binge. What I mean is this, if we're being honest, who doesn't love watching a good train wreck? We don't watch Bachelor in Paradise for healthy relationships. We don't watch CNN or Fox News for inspiring news. We don't follow Reddit because we want to be uplifted or inspired. No, we do all these things because there's a high in watching other people fall apart. I'll admit that. Now, on the one hand, I want to be clear that pastors need to be held accountable. I'm all for transparency, exposing sin, and aligning ourselves with those who have been hurt by reckless and heartless leadership. But on the other hand, I also think we need to be careful that our desire for the health of God's church doesn't morph into an amusement for broken things. Because here's the thing. Everything that is being exposed right now about pastors and leaders and churches is not the work of the enemy, but according to Malachi, it's the work of God. And the reason God brings to light the ugliness of his leaders is not because he wants to troll them, not because he wants to hate on them, not because he finds it entertaining, but because his love for the world compels him to do it and his love won't let him sit still. 
And what if we truly want is to pursue accountability alongside God. It is so, so important that we do it from a place of love. It's so crucial that whenever we see a news story about how this pastor did this or that church did that, our response isn't LOL, let's repeat that. But Lord, keep me from falling out of love with you because this could be easily be me. And Lord, keep me from cheating your people because this could easily be me. And Lord, help me to be an instrument of your justice because the neglect I see all around me could also happen near and through me. Lord, help me not to just call out the bad, but to also praise what is good. In a culture that is fixated in calling out all that is wrong with leaders, let us not forget those who held us in the nursery, taught us in Sunday school, made us love church in the first place, and who never failed to make us feel wanted and known. Rainier View, when pastors fail you, when leaders fail you, don't give up on God. When churches seem untouchable, know that God is on your side. But at the same time, let's be careful that our thirst for justice doesn't become a form of shallow entertainment. Because the exposure of bad leadership should never be an opportunity to increase our capacity for disdain and despair. But instead, exposure should serve as a reminder of these truths. That our trust belongs not to leaders, but to God alone. That God will always do justice on behalf of the hurting and we must stand with them. And even now in the messiness of church, God will continue to grab us, shake us, and get in our faces because he hasn't given up on the church, and neither should we.